and we're standing, we're standing in awe of you. Thank you for meeting with us in the person of the Holy Spirit today. May your word, may the spirit be the all-powerful and almighty teacher today as we meet together. We need you, Lord. We need you desperately. Thank you for the privilege it is to look up today. Meet with us in a special way. Encourage our hearts, draw us close to you, and through that closer to one another. And we ask this in Jesus' precious name. He's certainly worthy. Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. Thank you, worship team, for leading us today. Today is uh, Communion Sunday for us here at Christ Community Church. And for those who are visiting with us today, we're so glad you've come. Uh, that is the sun out there, if you haven't seen it for a while. A little different than this past Tuesday, I guess. But a uh, beautiful Lord's Day, an opportunity to be together. And I thought it might be good for us to just linger at Calvary for a few moments this morning. So that's what we're going to do. If you have a bulletin inside, your bulletin is an outline. And uh, you'd say, well, there's the message, I can go home. I, I trust you won't. But if you don't have a bulletin, get close to someone who does. Or if we could have some men help me, could uh, you raise your hand if you don't have an outline? I'd like you to have an outline today. Barb raised her hand. You'd think she'd have it memorized, wouldn't you? I got this message from her, so you'd think she'd know it. As you're... Uh, Thank you, fellas, for helping. Make sure you get an outline. I want you to take that with you today as well as look at it today during the message, but you'll see why in just a moment. Hopefully it'll be something that you can hold on to for a while. Some very simple, basic thoughts on Scripture's definition uh, of the death of the Lord Jesus, lingering at Calvary today. Uh, I don't know if you followed it all these days, the, the kind of disastrous fires, the California uh, brush and wildfires going on. Uh, years ago, there was an old-time preacher who for a number of years had lived on the American prairies, and he was over in England, and he was introducing one of his messages, and he came to realize they had no clue what a prairie fire was all about. So he described how the American Indians would save their community of wigwams from a blaze or from a fire. You know how they did it? He said what they would do, he said, is set fire to the dry grass that adjoined their compound, their wigwam compound, and they'd let that fire burn on out. And uh, he reminded the people in England of a great truth. He learned it, he said, from the Indians. The fire cannot come where the fire has already been. It's a neat thought, but spiritually speaking, the preacher went on to say, friends, I call you to the cross where judgment for sin has already fallen, and it cannot come there, and it cannot come your way again. He who takes his stand at the cross, the fellow went on to say, is safe forevermore. Why? Because he resides in God's safety zone. So I'd like you to take your Bibles, if you would, and turn with me, first of all, to Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah 53, I'll get you time to, to get there, get alongside someone that has a Bible if you don't have one, or there should be one in the 
chair rack right in front of you there. Isaiah 53. We're going to linger at Calvary. And one of the ways we're going to do that is to see what Scripture has to say about the death of the Lord Jesus. Now, this is a prophecy that Isaiah is sharing. Of course, it came from God, and it relates to the coming Messiah. This is what was going to happen. It happened some 600 years ago. I'm sorry, 600 years later after this prophecy, some 2,000 years ago. Isaiah 53, beginning at verse 3. This one who comes, he, he was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and he carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. Now we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. That's a prophecy concerning the coming Christ and Savior, the one that we're worshiping this morning. Now would you go with me to Matthew 27. Matthew 27. I'd like you to look at verse 27 and following. That one that was just prophesied to come has now come. He's lived here for some 33 years. And he's facing death. He's facing the cross. It says in verse 27, the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him. They put a scarlet robe on him and then twisted together a crown of thorns. They set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand. And they knelt in front of him and they mocked him. They said, Hail, King of the Jews, they said. They spit on him. They took the staff and they struck him on the head again and again. And after they had mocked him, they took off the robe, they put on his own clothes on him, then they led him away 
to crucify him. Verse 35. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. This is a song that's a powerful song. We're not able to put it up and play it for you today. I won't bore you by singing it, but this is the words. It's a song by Michael W. Smith. You'll recognize it. Above all powers and above all kings, above all nature and all created things, above all wisdom and all the ways of man, you were here before the world began. And above all kingdoms and above all thrones, above all wonders the world has ever known, above all wealth and treasures of the earth, there's no way to measure what you're worth. Crucified, laid behind a stone, you lived to die, rejected and alone, like a rose trampled on the ground. You took the fall, and you thought of me above all. Crucified, then laid behind a stone. You lived to die, rejected and alone. You were like a rose trampled on the ground. And you took the fall. You thought of me above all. The Lord Jesus, the one that we call our Savior, our Master, our Lord. He's the head of the body. You and I make up that body. How did he die? How did he die? Well, we listed a few thoughts. We could add much more than this, but Jesus died an innocent death. That means free from sin or guilt or fault. So why did he die? Well, it was the Lord's will that he died. Father's will. It's part of the plan to deal with your sin and mine. He died innocently. Luke 23 tells us that Pilate said, I find no fault in him. I find no fault in him. The apostle Paul said, he who knew no sin became sin for us. He died innocently. How else did he die? He died very patiently, which means he was steadfast. and He was able to bear in the midst of much oppression and adversity. That's what it means to be patient. He was patient in his death. 1 Peter 2, when they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to God, to the Father, who judges justly. He not only died innocently and patiently, but he died a voluntary death. That means one who takes part without any legal reason or major interest necessary to call that volunteering. John 10, 10 Jesus made very clear he said I am the good shepherd and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep I lay my life down and I take it up again because no one takes it from me 
but I lay it down of my own accord. Some thoughts from Scripture as to how he died. He died shamefully. Disregarded. Very dishonorable, disrespectful death. Matthew 27, 35, we read it. They parted his garments. They stripped him of his clothes. They mocked him. And they scorned him. They tried in every way to bring utter embarrassment upon him. You may think with me for a moment, friends. Can you imagine how that hurt? I mean, this is not a human being hanging on that cross. They were on each side of him. This was God in the person of the Lord Jesus. He could have called down 10,000 angels, more than that if he wanted to, to deal with the situation, but he didn't. He died alone. He died in a disgraceful way, dishonored, disrespected. Are you lingering with me at the cross for a few moments this morning? Well, why did Jesus die? Matthew 20, verse 28 says, the Son of Man did not come to be served. It's not why he came down here from heaven, but he came to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. A ransom is something that redeems or buys back someone who's captive. That's exactly what Jesus did. He bought you and I back in bondage, in captivity because of our sin. He, in turn, paid the price. He died a ransom. You see, sin is like a slave market in which you and I as sinners are sold under sin. Sold, we're souls that are under the sentence of eternal death. The wages of sin, the consequences are not pretty. The wages of sin are, is what? It's death. But the gift of God, the one we're looking at today, the gift of God is eternal life. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. By his death, you and I were bought out of that market of sin. And that indicates complete deliverance from it. Two key Bible verses, let me share this. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver and gold that you and I were redeemed from the empty way of life and sin, but it was the precious blood of Christ, the lamb without blemish, without defect, 1 Peter 1. Acts 4.12, one of my favorite verses. I need to do what this says and share this news more often, but it says salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved, Acts 4.12. You see, when Jesus came, he knew what this was all about. He was coming to ransom us. It's one of the reasons why he came. It's one of the reasons why he died. Another reason was he came to take the place of you and me. 
experiencing the wrath of God. He came as a substitute. That means to take the place of. 1 Peter 3.18, Christ died for our sins. Our sins, once for all. The righteous one for the unrighteous. Why? Why would he do that? Have any idea? To bring us to God. 1 Peter 3.18. All that, he's thinking of you and I above all. Isn't that amazing? And another thought that goes with that, that was a joy to him because that was what would please his father. That's why he was willing to do all this. To be obedient and please the father. That was a part of the plan. You know, I have not seen a lot of movies in my life, but one of the last ones that I've ever seen was The Passion of the Christ. It was difficult for me to watch. I don't know. Anybody see that? It was tough to watch, wasn't it? Hard to identify with anyone treating another human being in that way, let alone the Son of God. But I want us to grasp something today. What you and I have read about in Scripture, what we've dwelt upon and meditated upon from time to time, and we always do that, come communion, don't we? The Lord's table. What you and I have often meditated upon, in a sense we saw from a distance that day, this is what had to be done in order for you and I to be saved and set free. That's what the Holy God thinks of sin. And Jesus went through all of this so that I wouldn't have to. So that you wouldn't have to. What does scripture say? Remember we read, all we like sheep have gone astray and we've turned everyone to our own way. But God has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree so that we might not die to sinfulness and live for righteousness. Because by his wounds, you and I have been spiritually healed. 1 Peter 2.24 Something horrible happened to Jesus, and it need not happen to you this morning. Um, what happened to Jesus will never happen to me. How can I dare say that? For the same reason you can. It has nothing to do with me, because if it did, it would happen to me. Above all, he thought of you, and he thought of me above it all. That's another reason why he died. He took our place. And then last of all this morning, it's a big word. You hear me share it a lot because it's one of my favorite words because of what it means. Propitiation. It's not in the NIV. It's not in most translations today. But in 1 John 2, 2, he himself is the propitiation for our sins. That means the atoning sacrifice for our sins. He himself, no one else, he himself is the propitiation for our sin, the atoning sacrifice for our sin, not only for our sins, but the sins of the whole world. Propitiation means 
covering or mercy seat. That's a reference to an article of furniture found in the Jewish tabernacle or temple. It was in the place of the, the holy of holies, the mercy seat. This is the factual story of how the Jews worshipped in the Old Testament. Once a year, on the day of Yom Kippur, the high priest would enter the holy of holies. He'd take the blood of a slain lamb, a lamb without spot or blemish, and he'd go to that mercy seat. That was where the presence of God resided. And he would take the blood of that slain lamb and offer that blood in atonement, not only for his sin, but for his family and the sins of the entire Jewish nation. Do you see the picture unfolding as to why Jesus died? He died as a propitiation the one who would satisfy the Father's heart when it came to dealing with sin. That's what propitiation means. Big word. Simple meaning. God was satisfied. Because of what Jesus Christ did for you and me. The crucified one shedding his precious blood on the cross of Calvary. There he became the mercy seat for you and for me. It satisfied the heart of God. You see, a just God has to deal with sin. That's what Good Friday is all about. But Sunday's coming, right? A few days later, he resurrected his son because of what his son had done. There was a father, you'll identify with this, there was a father who had not been back to his upbringing, the old homestead, for quite a while. His kids were getting older, so he wanted to take them back, and while they were on vacation, they journeyed back to the old homestead. And that's where Dad grew up, and he let them know all about that, and he was showing them the farm. And as he was doing that, a flock of geese flew over. The dad was pointing to that flock of geese. The kids heard some noise. He looked up. He said, some geese are flying over. The kids had a difficult time seeing the geese, so he attempted. He said, look up my arm. If you would, kind of look up my arm to the end of my hand, and I'm, I'm pointing to where they're at. Finally, everyone but the youngest, the little boy. Everyone else had seen him but the little boy, and the dad told the young boy, your chances of seeing them are about up. But he said, son, see that huge oak tree over there? He said, if you'll look over the top of the tree, hopefully you can grasp and catch a glimpse of the geese as they fly over. Sure enough, he looked at the oak tree and then he looked up. And he saw them as they flew in orderly formation over the old homestead. I remind my own heart as I remind you today. There's a lot of people out there that are failing to see the love, the mercy, and the grace of a holy God. Because they're simply looking up the arm of some other experience. That's not enough. It's not good enough. You don't see the grace and the mercy and the love of God there. 
to see it clearly, to grasp a vision of it, you're going to have to look by way of the tree that stood at Calvary. Because that's where the crucified one died as a ransom and as a substitute and as propitiation for you and me. So as we linger at Calvary this morning, would you pause for a few moments with me right there? So I can guarantee you something. If it happened to me, it can happen to you. When I linger at Calvary, spiritual values become very real. They become very real. I just texted my niece to see how my sister's doing. My sister's uh, on the verge of going home once and for all. She's struggling big time. She's battling. I guess that's the Gherkin way, the stubbornness. She just won't give it up. It's been going on now for about 48 hours, and who knows. But I'll tell you, heaven becomes real at a time like that. She's going to be gone, but I'm going to see her again. All because there was a time in my life where the Spirit of God, I don't know why, but he convicted my heart and soul, and I lingered at Calvary long enough. Have you been there? Anybody know what I'm talking about this morning? Isn't that special? Spiritual values become real when you and I linger at Calvary. And believe me, we often wonder if this could happen, but worldliness loses its appeal when you and I hang out at Calvary for a while. Reflect on who he was and what he did and why he did it. And you know something else happens that is so vital in our earthly journey Self is sacrificed in ways that no other way. It's sacrificed when you and I hang out at Calvary, when we just linger there for a while. Um, remember, fire can't go where fire's already been. So goes the judgment for sin. If you and I run to the cross where sin had been once and for all dealt with, we will find that what happened there propitiated the heart of God toward your sin and mine. We're saved when we meet the Savior. We're secure when we meet the Lord. Saved and secure in the Christ of the cross. Have you been there? You know what that's all about? Well, that's what the Lord's table is all about. I mean, that's what communion is all about. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 11, he put it this way. He said when Jesus was in that upper room and he took the bread, he talked about that being his body that was going to be broken for them and for those of us who would put our faith and trust in him. I mean, that's lingering at Calvary. That's remembering what that broken body was all about, what that death on the cross was all about. And then he took that cup and he said, this, in a, you know, this represents my blood that's going to be shed there. It hadn't happened yet. And he's telling them all about that, a broken body and shed blood. 
And he reminded them of that as they partook of the bread and drank of that cup. But he also said something else. Paul reminds us of that. He said, as you do this, do this how? In remembrance of me. So what we've just done is we linger at Calvary. It's not foreign to God. It's not foreign to Scripture. It shouldn't be foreign to you and I who make up the body of Christ. If you don't know Jesus this morning, it may be foreign to you. It was once foreign to me. I was a teenager, 17 years of age. I had all the answers. I just didn't know what the questions were. Life has changed. I know what the questions are. I just don't have many of the answers these days. But I can tell you this, and you could tell the one next to you, or you could tell anybody who would be willing to listen. If you've been to Calvary, if you've lingered there, if you've met the Savior, this is important to reflect back on who he is and what he's done. Do this in remembrance of me. That very night that he shared with his disciples, with the apostles, he said, this is it. We'll not do it again until when? I do it new with you in my Father's kingdom. I look forward to that. I'm going to be there. Are you going to be there? That's why you and I, as we gather around the Lord's table, it's such a blessing and such an encouragement. If you don't know Jesus today, I'm going to ask you not to partake. I mean, we do this in a, maybe a little different manner here. Um, and we haven't violated the, the way CCC has done this for a while. Folks, kind of get up and come. and We're going to have the servers come. Would you come now and kind of take your place? And, and worship team, you take your place. And as they come, um, just a reminder that the bread represents the broken body. The juice is going to represent the precious shed blood. We weren't redeemed by all kinds of material things, but by the precious blood of the Lord. So scripture also reminds us that we're wise before we come to the table to make sure that our hearts are right with him. So let's take a couple minutes, and in silence, you may want to go to the Lord in prayer. Make sure that things are right today. Make sure you, you reflect and meditate upon who he is and what he's done. Meet him in your own way today. If you're not saved, it's hard to meet someone you've never met. Maybe at this time you can very simply just say, Lord Jesus, there's no doubt I'm a sinner. Pretty obvious, I know that. I didn't know that you loved me that much, that you did all that for me at Calvary. I ask you to come into my heart, be my savior, be my master. And I thank you for going to the cross for me. You could do that today. The rest of us who know Jesus are gonna partake of that juice and that bread and what it represents in just a moment. So let's in silence, go before the Lord.
Heavenly Father, what do we say to a holy God? Absolutely nothing. We have nothing to offer. But we come to you in the name of the one you dearly love who took our place. He who knew no sin became sin for us that you might declare us righteous. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, thank you for convicting us and bringing us to the Savior. Now be pleased. May our hearts be encouraged as we partake together. Just a few of us here in this little place called Princeton, Illinois, gathered at Christ Community Church. We do this. We love you. And we're so grateful for your mercy and grace and all that you went through to rescue us and to redeem us and reconcile us to the Father. So we ask your blessing now as we partake together. Folks, we'll serve the team and then we'll ask you to come, step to the middle and you come. And if you're not able to come, please stay seated where you're at and we'll see to it that you're served, okay? You can listen in as we partake up here. It's just a little wafer, right? You take of that for now. Thank you. That little wafer, remember what it represents? It represents the precious broken body that was done for you and me. And then he said, we should do this in remembrance of him. And then there's some juice here. It's not miraculous juice. It doesn't turn in anything, but what it represents, we've just talked about. It represents the shed blood of the Lord Jesus. Remember what he said? He said, when you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you do show the Lord's death until he come. And he said, this do in remembrance of me. You are mine. You are Cindy. There's Scott. You're welcome to stand if you would. As you come, come down the middle aisle, then go off to the side. There's a place for you to dispense of your cup. Lord bless you as you partake together. Jesus, Jesus.
surrender all. I surrender all. All to Thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender
pretty neat at the linger at Calvary, isn't it? Even if it's just a few moments. It's a precious time. If you're visiting with us today, uh, you can tell by looking we're not perfect by no means. But praise God, we are forgiven. And you can be too. If you just linger at Calvary long enough to meet the Savior. That's our prayer. And for those of us that know the Lord Jesus, we're talking about relationships these days. You need a pastor, right? You need a pastor who loves the Lord and loves you, loves people. Relationship-oriented, but our prayer is that we will all become relationship-oriented in our mind and thinking, not just your next pastor. We all have people we know and love who don't know Jesus. A lot of them we're related to, we go to school with, we work with. What an opportunity in some simple way to reach out, meet them where they're at, love them like someone loved you and I and like Jesus did. Ask God to open the door. Somewhere you want to drop the truth of what it means when we linger at Calvary. Um, we're going to be dismissed here in just a moment, but um, Frank and Judy Beatty are with us. And Frank and I, we may have met in years gone by. We talk every Wednesday. Poor guy has to hang out with me on the phone for an hour or so, it seems like. And he's my coach, so if your ears are ringing, your nose is itching on Wednesday between 9 and 10, we're talking about you, okay? And I'm sharing, these people are so difficult. Frank, do you have any answers? And he gives me all the answers. And now, he's my coach, and we hang out together and pray together, and we're working at this together. All IPM interims have a coach. And that's, that's precious and helpful. So Frank, would you come? Thank you and Judy for visiting with us today. I think I can turn you on here. Yes, the green light's on. Would you dismiss us in a word of prayer? Thank you for coming today. It's our privilege to be here. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for the reality of Calvary. We thank you for paying our penalty in total, completely so that indeed we stand before you holy and righteous and blameless. Not one thing that you accuse us about because of Jesus and his payment. May that truth ring in our ears and in our hearts this week as we seek to live life in a way that brings honor and glory to you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Have a great Lord's Day.